Oh my god, Madam X is in the house. <laughs> How hilarious was that? Madonna X, are you wearing an eye patch right now? I'm not. I'm wearing glasses right now. I should be wearing my eye patch right now, but I'm not. I was very impressed with my Madonna X tribute. Yeah, your Madam X was stunning, uncanny. Thank you. Stunning. <laughs> Hello, 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 squirrel friends. I'm John Polly, a producer on RuPaul's Drag Race and a drag race historian. And welcome, welcome, welcome to the official RuPaul's Drag Race podcast, or as we like to call it, Gina, ready to hit her. Brought to you by World of Wonder and VH1, this podcast takes you through every episode of RuPaul's Drag Race season 12. Each week, I'm joined by show insiders and RuPaul's Drag Race icons, i.e. the queens who have made herstory, to talk about this new season and their own drag race experience. So thank you for listening. And warning, because there's going to be what? Tell them, Michelle. Spoilers! Yes! So consider yourself warned. And to keep up, make sure you watch RuPaul's Drag Race every Friday on VH1 at 8 p.m. or 7 central. Or you can watch in select territories on WoW Presents Plus if you're someplace where you can't get VH1. Now, having said that, I am here with the queen mother, the house mother, the foster mother of RuPaul's Drag Race, the Supreme Justice, the Jersey Justice, the world's foremost Madonna fan, a UK media phenomenon... A best-selling author, a Poshmark mogul, <laughs> and a working mom, Michelle Visage. Poshmark mogul is it. I am probably not the world's foremost Madonna fan. There are people that can put me to absolute garbage shame, but I certainly am, you know, one of her biggest fans. I'm just glad we're finally having a full-fledged Madonna Rusical on Drag Race. This has been years in the making, I feel like. And not only has it been years in the making, but it came out really, really good. Like we're now, this is such a good group of girls here on season 12 that we're now at the point that it's like, I'm picking things apart because of earrings that they're wearing. Like that's how good it is. And when, when the going gets tough, the tough got to go in. Yes. Now also, before we dive fully into this episode, you posted some amazing pictures of you as Madonna recently. <gasps> yes, wasn't that fun, John Polly? Yes, yes. What what was that? So there was a TV show in the UK that we were doing, and it was right when the kind of pandemic started wreaking havoc everywhere. And the night that we were going to film the TV show, it was for somebody's birthday party, the host birthday party, and you had to come dressed as your favorite pop star. So of course, believe it or not. I originally wanted to come at, because Madonna, everybody would expect Madonna. So I wanted to come as Pete Burns. And oh. they came back saying that he hasn't been dead long enough. And I was like, what? It's been three years. And if anybody would love it, it would be Pete. But they shot me down. So of course, I came as my diva, the predictable one. And so what happened was we were all there to record. And then Boris Johnson shut all larger than 50 people meetings down. So the 300 people studio audience were sent home and then the host wasn't feeling well. And I looked at him and I went, uh, and then other people on the show, like Mel B and Holly Willoughby were like, mm, I ain't staying. If you don't, nope, I'm out of here. I ain't get trying to get Corona. So everybody left. And I looked at my hair and makeup and said, Oh hell no, we're going to turn this into a little photo shoot. 
because yeah. this is way too cute to go to waste. So that's what we did. We turned it into a little mini photo shoot. Right. It was epic. It was perfect and gorgeous. I was Aww. like, did she, did she just have that laying around? <laughs> no, I wish. No, they actually, they did the costuming. I brought some of the necklaces. They brought the costuming. It was uh, for a TV show called Celebrity Juice and my hair and makeup, Craig Marston and Heidi North did such a great job. It was so much fun. Like, I can't wait to do it again. So we're going to try to do it again when everything's up and running and do it properly. Yeah. Well, what's your favorite Madonna movie? Listen, I love Desperately Seeking Susan. You can't beat that. But another one that I really, really love that everybody sleeps on is Swept Away. It's one of my favorite, favorite movies because of the way Guy Ritchie shot it. It's just absolutely magical the way it looks. I just love, love, love that movie. Did you like it? I know, people, I actually did. I kind of like it. It kind of gave me the overboard meets Blue Lagoon moment that I never knew that I wanted or needed. <laughs> and then one yeah. more question before we dive in. When will you be starring in the Burt Reynolds Dinner Theater production of Evita? Oh my God. Listen, I'll do any production of Evita. I am way past my prime to play Evita because she was, I believe, 27. Yeah. She was very young when she passed away. So, you know. Let me look. Let me look that up. Evita, when she died. She was 33 years old when she died. So I guess it would have to be Burt Reynolds Dinner Theater at this point. You're a West End actress. You have starred on the biggest stages in the world, but I still just love the Burt Reynolds Dinner Theater, and I think there's no higher bar. I'm down for it. That's where I fell in love with Patti Lapone. so please. Have you seen Patti Lapone posting her- Are you kidding me? I'm texting her saying, more, more, more. I want more content. <laughs> it's amazing. And how about Fried Fish? Madonna's Fried Fish video. Uh, Madonna's, I think, slowly losing the plot a little bit. <laughs> but I love every minute of it. Now, how are you holding up? Are you at home with kids and, and, and husband David? I am at home with one kid and one kid's boyfriend. And the other kid is in Portland because she didn't want to come home. She, she you know, is in her second year of college. And said, I'd really like to stay here if I can, so... Her goal is to go to Argentina and study abroad at the end of the summer, beginning of the, you know, for the first semester. So she wasn't going to be around anyway. So she was always planning to leave the country. So yeah. that's kind of why and how everything's working. So we thought, do what you got to do. Stay in Portland if it makes you happy. Stay with the people that you are vibing with. And, you know, hopefully all will be good when she heads to Ar uh, Argentina. That makes perfect sense. What's new, Buenos Aires? Exactly, another Evita connection. <laughs> she can play Evita. She would love it. It's one of she's a Patty Lapone fan too because of mom. So, and one more thing before we dive in fully, AOC. How was AOC? I mean, what an honor to have AOC. And as I was watching the episode, I feel like we look kind of like distant sisters or cousins. I was like, we're on the same color scheme, had the same hairdo. She was so wonderful. She was so into it. It was just, she was just great. And somebody who's, who's working her butt off to make this world a better place is just an honor to be by it. Yeah. And she's such a fan. She's such a big drag race fan too. She's totally in it. She's just amazing. Okay. So in this episode, right away, Rue walks in the workroom, the Queens are there and bam, it's Madonna bitch. This week is the Madonna Rusical. Yay! When I heard they were doing that and then asked me to help with the vocals, it was like, all of my years of doing this came to fruition, like in that one moment of, 
I am ready, Mr. DeVille. I'm ready for my close-up. Like this was my moment. I was so excited to be part of this challenge. And I think the queens did a really good job. Yeah, they did. They did. And like, I liked watching them choose the roles, but I was shocked when they started picking the roles. Madonna number one, like early Madonna, burning up, holiday Madonna. Nobody wanted early Madonna. I was, I, I, I don't understand. <laughs> the only thing I can think is, John, because we are women of a certain age, you and I, because they didn't go through the original Madonna to experience really what it was like to live through the early Madonna years. And they only know her from like ray of light on. So I think that's why they were like, ew, like that's so long. That is the most iconic. There's a lot of iconic Madonnas. I couldn't believe that nobody wanted it. Jan ends up kind of taking it almost as like a favor to everyone. They say she's (laughs) the only one who can sing it. She was great. She did a great job. And I seriously could not believe that they didn't, want it she did a great job and it ended up being a good one for her the only little other squabble was that britta and Gigi both want cone bra madonna which i would have thought everyone would have wanted too that's actually like my least favorite madonna (gasps) i know how come i think because it's overdone when people satirize or caricature it's always that one so it's always like eye roll because that was like Madonna at her, like, one of her biggest heights. It was so parodyable. It was so spoofable, like the cone yeah. bra, the, you know, everything. You know, don't don't read that wrong. I love it. But for me, it's my still my least favorite. It was one of my favorite tours, I think, if not my all-time favorite tour. So anyway, Britta and Gigi both want cone bra Madonna. And then Gigi kind of says, like, okay, fine, you can have it. Because Britta says she can't sing the other one because her, her register is too low or whatever. This group of girls is very kind of shady, giving looks and making faces behind each other's backs. So that makes me laugh a lot. So when that was going on, everything that was you know going on in their faces was very readable. I think a lot of times with Drag Race in general, and maybe in life, we all think that we're better doing something that that's comfortable, which I understand. But when we get pushed out of our comfort zone, for example, Gigi Good. You end up with something that is just genius. That's kind of like why I judge the way that I judge. It's to push them out of doing what you think you're good at because it's comfortable. But you might be good at other things too that you never thought that you'd be good at. So I love when those moments happen. Those are my favorite moments of being pushed out of comfort zone into something and then you freaking kill it. You nail it like Gigi did. That is so rewarding and so amazing to watch. See, that's why you're a good judge. I do my best, John Polly. Apropos of what you just said, they come to sing with you. You you are there to coach them. Jan goes first and she can sing. Yeah. I mean, I knew of Jan, obviously in New York and on Instagram and stuff, but hearing her sing first person, like right there in front of her face was wonderful. She's so talented, this girl. She can sing her butt off. She's a great dancer. She's a great little actress. You can tell she's a theater kid. And she really just wanted to please. They all did, to be honest. Some of them were just more nervous than others. And some of them like think in their head, I should try it this way. And then when they try it, it's a little confusing because I don't know how they got to that. But then all you do is say, try this. And they go, oh, okay. And it's like, wow. And then you see the final version up on stage and it's like everybody listened to the critiques or the, you know, suggestions that the producers and I gave them, you know, the music producers and they did it. They sounded great and they looked great. I'm telling you, this challenge was a tough one because then not only did they have to do Madonna, but then they had to do me. So (laughs) both of those things in front of me is not easy because I, I'm, 
not the easiest, you know, when you come out on that main stage, seeing my face and my, my death glare, it's not easy. So this was a really tough challenge and the girls definitely came through. And I love that Jan is singing, I want to rule the world because that is very Jan. (laughs) It's also early Madonna, you know, getting dropped off in Times Square with like, you know, $20 in her pocket, you know, taking to the center of the world. And and that's kind of how it all started for Madonna. I also love that you had to coach Jada on being sexy. And you you coached her very well. Thank you. I mean, it was so funny to me. It was like Jada is such a sexy queen. She's so beautiful. She oozes sex appeal. And then she's doing, you know, justify my love. And she basically freezes up. And I was like, come on, come on, girl, loosen up. I know you got this. Don't make this 50 year old mother of two get out here in her girdle and show you how to make someone sexy. But you know what? If you got to take one for the team, you got to take one for the team. Yeah, I thought you were going to bring Tony Ward out or something. I don't know what was going to happen. Anytime you want to bring Tony Ward out, you can bring Tony Ward out. But we do get some girls struggling, like Jackie's a little too cutesy. I think it was just understanding the character. I think the song sounded like Material Girl, but she looked like Like a Virgin. And even Like a Virgin was not cutesy. It was more come hither. She was being an absolute whore in a wedding dress. Like there's nothing cutesy about it except for the way her voice sounded. So it was layered. That needed layers of acting dynamics. Yeah. But at the end of the day, she struggled, but it was not bad at all. Heidi, Widow, and Crystal, they're a little like all over the place singing-wise, but they go for it. You know, Crystal was smart because she she made it work for her, and she found comedy in what she was doing. And Crystal is just really starting to come out of her shell and she's really starting to flourish and push herself and push herself. And I love that. And widow found, you know, widows a rapper. She wanted to rap. So she found something that worked for her and her doing the music. Madonna was amazing. I thought that was really, really good. And she, you know, she struggled in the coaching and then she found a place and a pocket that worked for her Yeah. with Britta. I think Britta went into it thinking very grand, thinking very big, because this is what she does. And she was really good at it. But again, finding her place so she didn't get lost was was getting kind of difficult for Britta. And Gigi is just so nervous. She's nervous when she's with you. She's nervous during trying to learn the choreography. She's like, it's an awkward Gigi we haven't seen. Yeah, well, it just goes to show you when you're taken out of your comfort zone. That's what I mean. Everybody's cocky when it's when it's something they know how to do, right? You'd be like, I got this. You know, it's that Rue talks about we felt safe with her because she knew what she was doing. And in this, we felt unsafe because we were like, what's wrong? Why are her hands shaking? Why is she tripping? Why is she stuttering? What's going on? This is not the Gigi we know. Because it was all uncharted territory. But at the end of the day, you can tell she worked, she worked, she worked because Viola, you saw what happened. (laughs) Yes. And then the who's Patty Lapone moment. That was like a hot stake through my heart. It was like, I, I know you're young. And if you're not a musical theater girl, you're not going to know who the queen is. But really, honestly, if you don't know, listen, if you don't know in quarantine, now you know, because Patty's been giving us tours of her basement <laughs> as Patty, as Norma Desmond. For me, she's up there 
as much as Madonna is for me. The beautiful Jamal Sims shows up next to do some choreography with the girls. That was amazing because, you know, Jamal, who has actually worked with Madonna, this is firsthand. These girls are so lucky to be able to get somebody like Jamal to choreograph for them. Like, he's elite. It's pretty amazing to have that. And, you know, again, Gigi was panicking. And again, Jan just like, knocked it out of the park. And when Gigi came out doing her choreography, I was so freaking proud of her in the vocals, in the performance. It was like, oh my God, Gigi, yes. Yes, baby, yes. And you know a thing or two about suddenly having to learn a lot of intense choreography for a dance performance on television. You were on the most like famous dance show in the world. Yes, I'm a dancer now. <laughs> That's a joke. It's not easy. And let me tell you something. It's not easy to learn a minute and a half choreography in three and a half days, let alone one day. So the fact that these girls do it, I understand the the amount of um, pressure that's on them. And that's what it's all about. Lights, camera, action, you're on. And they actually delivered. And they always do. Our girls always do deliver. But it is so intimidating. And the pressure is so intense. And I know what it feels like. But I'm so proud of them. Honestly, it was such a good musical, wasn't it? It blew me away. No, you didn't look at it and go, oh, God, she was the worst. Because that really didn't exist. Everybody was really good. You just looked at it and you saw kind of like, Heidi was great. She's a great freaking dancer. And God, she can charm the pants off of, you know, a priest. But at the end of the day, she was a great performer, but you really didn't get Madonna. And the whole point is you wanted to get Madonna out of it. A quick moment in the workroom. Day two, the girls are getting ready. They're preparing. We learned that Heidi is a big Madonna fan, in part due to the fact that Madonna has always been such a you know, strident AIDS activist and HIV activist. And Heidi was close to her uncle who died of AIDS. And just one of those sweet moments in the workroom, you learn more about someone and their family and their lives. You know, John, this is the beauty of RuPaul's Drag Race. This is a platform for queer performers to be able to tell their stories that normally would get ignored or suppressed or, you know, pushed aside because people never cared to give people, these kind of people, the time of day. So that's the beauty of RuPaul's Drag Race and having it on a platform like VH1 to be able to share these stories that are very real. You know, Heidi lost her uncle to AIDS when people weren't even talking about it. And she probably didn't even understand it because she was so young. So it's, it's, it breaks your heart, but it probably also helps a lot of people who have gone through maybe the similar thing. Whatever the situation is, losing somebody to AIDS or cancer or having somebody go through any kind of therapy. Do you know what I mean? It's being able yeah. to share your platform to bring attention to these things that are still happening or help you make peace with maybe knowing that you're not alone. Crystal also talks about her dad who's going through Parkinson's, which yeah. is also heartbreaking. You're just kind of like, oh, these girls, like they all bring their own courage and their own stories to the, to the whole thing. And you could just see the pain and how much her dad means to her. And I just wanted to run in and hug her. It was just the saddest moment. And she, you know, is being strong and she's doing this and she's doing this for him. And it, these are beautiful moments that they get to share with their sisters. And I love seeing them be there for one another. It is so inspiring. You know, when Dusty talked about the conversion therapy and it's just, it's just amazing to me, these friendships that they make and the way they bond. And again, having Drag Race and having RuPaul's Drag Race as a platform is such a gift to these girls. I'm just so honored to be part of it. It's a gift to all of us. And now, of course, I immediately get flippant, but also a gift was the picture of Heidi and her uncle 
Oh my God, her uncle was fabulous and gorgeous. Yes, I was like, yes, Sylvester, go on, girl. It was amazing. Yeah. But also just knowing she had somebody that kind of like, you immediately could tell this person was warm and kind of glorious, like in her life. So the girls finished getting ready. Heidi has her gap ready because, you know, she came with it. <laughs> she did come with it. I had one too, so did my daughter Lily. So when I see a gap to smile, it really, really makes me happy. It warms my heart. Everybody else painted theirs on, and then they hit that main stage, baby. Okay, we're going to take a quick break before we get to the main stage. And when we come back, we're going to dive into this rusical. And the girly show is on right after this. And now a word from World of Wonder and Trixie Mattel and Katya from Self-Isolation. Hello. Hi. How are you? Girl, this quarantine is making me lose my grip on reality. Girl, I think we're all figuring it out. Yes, that's Trixie and Katya coming to you from their new podcast for UN. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. You know you want it. Original Bizarre Podcast Bliss. I have a confession to make. What? I spent a solid two days binge watching old episodes of Oh. Oh my God, I did too. <laughs> <laughs> See, drag queens, they're just like us. So it's a joy to hear Trixie inform you that now is the time to release the show in podcast format so fans can listen again and again and again while they sit in isolation. Now that sounds healthy to me. I think that's really cool. <laughs> so. There you have it, Trixie and Katya and Un, the podcast. Listen now, wherever you get yours. Okay, we are back. I am with Michelle Visage. We are discussing Madonna the Rusical, Episode 7, RuPaul's Drag Race Season 12. Spoilers are coming, so watch out. But Michelle? Yes! You got to tell the real story of the cease and desist moment. <laughs> so funny like the cease and desist is not a cease and desist queens be turning it into a cease and desist the story is i was with a&m records madonna was with her label right they called my record label and they said listen i know one of your girls in your seduction group is trying to do madonna's look and madonna said if she's going to try to copy her look the least she can do is do it well and the girl from my label didn't want to tell me because she didn't want to break my heart because she knew how obsessed with. And I said, you don't understand, Martha. You don't understand. All I'm hearing is that Madonna actually knows who I am. So I don't care if I'm a cut rate Madonna impersonator. Madonna Louise Veronica Ciccone knows who I am. The end. Yes! <laughs> Winner. Thank you. I love it. I love it. I love, I love the story. I love the fact that we got the, like, the, full, the full tea. Yay. Yeah, so there was never a cease and desist. That was what Queens made it into, but it always makes me laugh when people say that. RuPaul comes out in this like latexy human nature ish. Yes, she's not sorry. <laughs> and then we have Winnie Harlow there, who's just stunning. Winnie Harlow looked amazing. And of course, AOC. Yeah, you know me. AOC is there. She's true blue. She's a ray of light in Congress. Oh, she's just beaming. She's just so happy to be there. And then we get a show. Madonna, the unauthorized rusical. Michelle Visage kicks it off. My Madonna accent is so funny because we waited forever for that to air, obviously, because we film it at a different time of the year. And so many people were having me do like Christmas cards, Christmas card videos, like videos. For, like I was doing my very own Madonna cameos in my dressing room. It was hilarious. You looked amazing. The show begins. 
Jan kicks it off, even with a little Dick Clark moment. Oh, that was so cute with the little Dick Clark moment. Yeah. Uh, Jan kicked it off as early Madonna, a.k.a. Lucky Star, but it was so, so good. Little gap tooth, little dance. She hit it all. It made me really happy. And then from yeah. there, it was just up and running because, again, really, everybody did a wonderful job. They really did. So at this point in this competition, this season is really like we're not picking off the ones that are just not ready. It's it's yeah. cutthroat. And I love that, like, the choreography for Jan was so much like that original holiday video. All those movies we know were like, oh, great. Yep. Jackie was rolling around the floor in a wedding dress. You can't ask for anything more, honestly. <laughs> and even, like, Britta had the little monocle, the little magnifying glass to look through. And it was all just great. And the details were just there. And I love that the writers just combined everything, you know, into one era. So if, if Madonna did that holiday dancing, you know, into lucky star and borderline, like everything wrapped into one from kind of that time frame, and then move on to the next era and the next era. It's just so rewarding. Rue was cracking up. He was loving every second of it as was I. And we have to talk for a second about Gigi doing the Papa don't preach slash unapologetic oh. number. When she did that, when she did the move. Yeah. The move. It was the little knee thing, the knee walk thing that, and then just the extra draggy true blue hair. It was just so good. It was yeah. so good. And her body looked ridiculous. Like it was like, oh my God, Gigi, Lord, save yeah. me. And what we learned from this is like Gigi did, yeah, she did, you know, a Papa Don't Preach moment, but she also was still, she put her stamp on it in the same way that I think like we talked about Crystal who comes later who does Ray of Light, who's just yeah. kind of goofy, but, and it's, and it's Madonna, but it takes it to like a crystal level as well. It's, you know, even, even Jada kind of puts her own kind of fun and, and humor into justify my love, you know, homage. My point is always when I ask the girls to switch things up, let's say crystals mask of makeup, like in the beginning, it's never to take away and Trixie and Bianca and Manila, like, Anybody who I've ever said it to over the years, it's never to lose who they are or not even to change who they are. It's for me to go, do you have the ability to do anything else or is this just where you're stuck? And I always say that I do that and it's the truth because like as me, I audition, they're going to be auditioning. Yes, casting directors can hire them for the one thing they do. But what if they can show casting directors that they're extremely versatile and they could do 10 other things along with that one thing? So each time they actually listen and come out different, it's like, oh my God, I knew it. I knew you could do this for me. And that's why I like seeing Crystal change stuff up, but yet still be herself in it is exactly what I want for her. And it's exactly what I want for other girls to switch it up, but keep yourself in it. And that's nothing makes me happier. Like that exaggerated hair that Gigi did. It was like amazing because it was still drag and it was still her, but it's still ridiculous. Do you know what I mean? I just love all of that stuff. So for Crystal to bring that hippy dippy weirdness to Ray of Light Madonna, it was just hilarious and funny and wonderful. And she was still very Crystal. Yeah. When Widow's doing music Madonna, she's giving, you know, props to the original that we all know with the cane and the hat and everything. But she's also still giving you like full Widow, too. I loved it. I loved that so much. I thought she killed it. She nailed it. 
which I think is why they're like Jackie did fine and Britta did fine, but like they did they had they, it lacked a little bit of their own like persona somehow, their own kind of like vibe into it. I think. Yeah, it also seemed like they were wearing a costume versus embodying, like. Express Yourself is my all-time favorite Madonna song because of what it says, because of how empowering that whole kind of era was, that whole representation of strong women out there in a suit, but yet the garters hanging down. It was just so empowering to me. So I felt like that was missing versus wearing a costume. I'm wearing a wedding dress instead of embodying what the whole message was back then. And like Heidi did a great job dancing and performing and even just singing the song. She moved great, but Madonna was missing a little bit. There was really no Madonna in it. The hair was there, but it was just missing Madonna. But there's Heidi is just a pretty special human being. So I like watching her. She's just funny and sweet and genuine. And I just love her. I love them all. But you know, it was just a little bit, little bit off for Heidi, and then kind of the me she chose, which I love that she chose something current. But it was just a little bit off, a little bit off. Yeah. When the musical ends, we have that big kind of bogey pose rap moment, a litany of Madonna references coming at you like crazy. That's what a Madonna show would look like anyway. If you go see her, everything's happening at once on stage, and that's kind of what she's known for. So that ending was perfect. And, you know, listen, if if we could have stood up back there and thrown stuff at them, we would have. They were that good. And honey, that's just like the first course. Then we get category is Night of a Thousand Michelle Visages. And I had no idea. <laughs> it was amazing. Uh, what an honor to be able to have this group of queens dress up like any Michelle they could pick and they could imagine. And they got pretty creative. Which Michelle Visage would you would you have chosen? God, I don't know. I probably would have gone really early. I think I, I go to random, like Widow chose a really good random one from the RuPaul talk show on VH1. The more random, I think the better for me personally, and maybe not for the world. Gigi chose the lovely day video. Which I, which I rewatched again. So good. Yeah, I probably would have went really back far. I don't know how far, but I would have found something that would have blew my mind as a judge. Like if that were me up there. I would have got maybe even a baby picture, you know, like one of the young seven or eight year old pictures of myself I would have put up would have been hilarious. First one out of the gate is Jan and her Glamazonian Airways moment, which was great. Really good. She nailed it. Like I said, I think this was a really good week for Jan. She got to do her thing and she was not happy when she didn't win, John Polly. Oh my gosh. She was, yeah, that was, I mean, good TV, but I also felt for her. I was like, oh, poor thing she really poured her heart and soul and she thought for a minute I could win this and she was really good. And to be honest, she could have, you know, it could have been anybody's game and she chose a fun one. And you know, there's a story behind that Glamazonian airways look for me. That was unintentional. We knew the themes and I like to try to give a nod to dress kind of in the theme without being in the competition. We knew that one was going to be Glamazonian Airways. So I had Dallas make me a little hat and scarf. And I thought, let's do it pink because it's not going to be pink. So I get there <laughs> and I get dressed and I come out and they're like, uh, it's the same color that the girls are wearing. Like I had no idea. So basically I was like in full competition mode along with the girls but at that point it was so far along i couldn't change it so i wore the same outfit that the girls wore on the main stage unintentionally 
you were ready to jump in there. If Sasha Bell still couldn't get that like hair clip out of her hair, you were ready to jump on stage and take over. I was ready to go. Exactly. So I still have that outfit might be going up on my Poshmark sometime soon. Oh my God, you should. You should. Crystal and Widow dug back into the VH1 talk show days. Yes. Yeah, so Widow did the, the long hair with the star pants. Crystal, she did one of my favorite promo. There's actually a promo shot with me in that. That was for the Christmas special of the VH1 talk show. Crystal looked beautiful, didn't she, with that red? Mine is stretch. Hers was patent leather, but she looked really great and all red with the red hair. And of course, she loves that red hair, so she was loving that moment. And then we get um, Britta doing your season 10 finale look, which was pretty gorgeous. She had the blue glasses, the blue Dallas dress that she made for me, and the cutouts and the sleeves. Listen, Britta did a great job with it, just missing the giant gem blue earrings. But really, when you come down to it, like I said really earlier on, I'm I'm down to earrings now. But literally, that's what it's coming down to now, because these girls are so talented, and they're on top of everything. Jackie had every detail, even down to my corset, hand-painted corset nail. Like, it was unbelievable, the detail. So to have something really big like that missing is like, ugh, I hate to say it, but I have to call you out on it. And like you said, Heidi, Heidi's look was cute, just not like up to snuff. Yeah. And it wasn't bad either because it was dragged. She dragged out my hair, but my hair was like the bun was textured instead of just like a blow up ball. <laughs> Although I'm glad that she at least played with it. Then she had fun with it. She's like, oh, it's just hairspray and desperation. The more that we have fun with things in life, the better life will be, especially now. I think we're learning that. And I think this time that we have in quarantine and isolation helps us look at, at how we're going to change our lives for the better when we get out of here. And Heidi is definitely a good person to look at for that because she makes the best out of every situation. She just was making me laugh, had fun, and said, you know what? It is what it is. Let's just get on with it and have a good time. Unfiltered, Southern, precious, adorable, genuine, pure. And that's why I love Heidi. I can listen to her talk for hours. <laughs> and she will talk for hours. I also give a couple more props to AOC because I love that she's, she knows the show. Her references are great. She uses the term hairography. <laughs> you can definitely, like she even compared crystals makeup i think to bianca so you could tell she's been watching it for a while and it makes me feel again as if i didn't love her enough for fighting for our rights she's also a huge drag race fan and knows like terminology slang lingo some of our girls again you feel safe with aoc i just love everything about her and again love being in the room to feel her energy and just being able to meet her and say thank you is just an honor for me and Jackie got to have that great moment with her kind of acknowledgement yeah. and just like appreciation. So special. And Jackie is a special creature too. So it's amazing. I can't help but to feel like a proud mom or a proud auntie to these girls. Cause it's like, look at you, look at this moment you get to be a part of. It's so special. And watching them just kind of blossom and succeed and even like fight for it. Like this one comes down to the lip sync with Britta and Heidi. Spoiler alert, bottom two, Britta and Heidi. Gigi is declared the winner. Whoop. First of all, Gigi was amazing. Like I said, she killed it. She asked, Jan killed it too. It could have been hers too. But Gigi, when she did that walk and she just came out there, it was like, oh, Jesus. And then the bottom two with, with Britta and Heidi. I think for me, the reason Heidi got it is because Britta didn't know her words at time. That's what it came down to. Because Britta is an amazing performer as well. She's so good and so talented and so filled with joy and positivity. I absolutely love her. Heidi was just kind of made me more like gutsy and even kind of funny and just kind of 
you know, fighting for it. And Heidi wins the lip sync. Britta is gracious. She exits. Jan is wrecked. Jan is sobbing. I know. I guess they were really close because they're both New York girls, obviously. But at the end of the day, there's only one winner. But I also think Jan was holding in, you know, how she was feeling about not winning. And I think that it all came out all at the same time because I think Jan really thought that she was going to get this one. And that hurt her. And by and large, this season, these girls have been faced with a season like no other. The episodes are great. The challenges are great. The queens are so talented. But the way they're having to experience it, like they're not able to do gigs. I think these girls are are pulling it off very well and handling all this crazy adversity super well. It's a weird time and it's a weird place right now with with everything that's going on. But all these girls handle everything wonderfully well. It's such a great group. It's such a great season. And each season you go, I don't know how we're going to beat last season. I don't. And just more and more queens just keep coming out of the woodwork thanks to RuPaul's Drag Race and people loving it and watching things like Drag Race and YouTube and learning how to beat their face and learning how to sew and more people can learn how to sew. That it's just an amazing, it's an amazing time to be able to watch these kids be able to do what they do best and not only do it, but do it really well. They're just so talented and it's such an honor to be able to judge them. And if you had to lip sync for your life to a Madonna song, what would it be? What would you kill? Oh, express yourself for sure. That would be my song. I can do probably any one of them. And there's a lot of great ones. There's a lot of great ballads too. People forget the great ballads, but Express Yourself is just fantastic. It's just so good. I would do I would do Sooner or Later at the Oscars. Trembling. Sondheim. Yes. And what else are you doing? How, what else? More of the same. Watching loads and loads of Drag Race on Binge Watch and other things. I started Desperate Housewives from the beginning. I started Glee from the beginning. I also started True Blood back from the beginning. So I've got three different series going at the same time. Are you in the Marianne season of True Blood yet? Season two. It's the Marianne season. Yes, Michelle Forbes. And all those crazy eyeballs. They all get those no. big black eyeballs. Because I was telling my husband as we were watching it last night, I was like, those, they're called circle lenses. And a lot of the queens wear them. Alaska wears them. Sharon wears them. And I keep telling my husband how uncomfortable those circle lenses are. They're so painful. They're like the one kind of contact lens that really actually hurts. So I was looking at all those people with all those circle lenses and I was like, they must be in so much pain, but yeah. I always like to use that as a reference when you're like at, at a really good party or a really crazy party. You're like, y'all, this is like season two, true blood. We're at Marianne's house right now. <laughs> exactly. Well, I, I was also asking, you know, cause everyone's doing like online gigs and drag fest and work the world and stuff. I got to host the digital drag festival. I got to open it and I've been watching the shows and I've been tipping and It's amazing because you're sitting there and talking to people from around the world, watching these incredible performers. I got to see Ben De La Creme. I got to see Jinx, Trinity, and some other ones I'm lined up for still to come. Those are the ones I've seen so far. And it's so amazing to be able to watch and kind of, even though my name on there is Visage, nobody's realizing it's me. So I'm kind of being anonymous and being a creeper, but I'm loving seeing these queens put together shows in their own freaking living rooms or their kitchens or wherever, not only to help themselves because these are gig artists that need to be out there making their money to pay their bills, but also Trinity raised something like $7,000 for local queens who can't work right now. So it's just amazing to be able to help in any way possible. And the format is fantastic because you're sitting in your house with no makeup on and your sweatpants eating your cheesecake or your pasta 
and you're just watching these girls perform their butts off and we're still able to be entertained and also help. So it's so wonderful. So I recommend everybody watch the Digital Drag Festival, stageit.com. You can get tickets on there. It's just so much fun and you're helping to support that. And if you buy their merch, I believe 40% of merch sales are going to GLAAD and GLAAD are on the front lines to help the LGBTQIA people who are most at risk for COVID-19. So it's all going to a great place and you can guarantee and be sure that the money's going where, where they say it's going. And I always say there were Queens long before drag race and there'll be Queens long after drag race. So always support your local girls. If you can do that somehow online or however, this is a good way to do it. Cause it's not just drag race girls on the digital drag festival. Also, you know, it's, um, a lot of local talent too. So a lot of people are doing it online. A lot of people are doing it on their Instagrams. However you can, if you can, it's wonderful to be able to support. Yes. Well, I support Michelle Visage. I am very pro Michelle Visage. Thank you, John Polly. I support John Polly. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you, doll. Thank you, baby. Okay. Wow. That was the fantastic Michelle Visage guiding us through this week's Madonna Ruskell performances and the night of a thousand Michelle Visage's runway. She is brilliant. Up next, another guest. Since Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was a guest judge on Drag Race this week, and she visited the Queens and Untucked and had an amazing conversation with them about activism, the power of drag, and the power of artists to make change, it was a sweet reminder of how drag can inspire leadership, and vice versa. So, following that train of thought, I called up Drag Race Season 5 alumnus Honey Mahogany, a wonderful queen and activist who just happened to make history earlier this year by becoming the first African-American transgender person elected to public office in San Francisco and in the state of California when she was recently elected to the San Francisco Democratic County Central Committee. Yes, good on her. So, here's Ms. Mahogany talking about her own path and the always vibrant intersection of drag, politics, and public service. Oh, honey. I'm very delighted today to be talking with Honey Mahogany, who is not only the first black trans person elected in San Francisco and the state of California, but a RuPaul's Drag Race starlet from season five. How are you? I'm good. You know, we're living in strange times, but, you know, I feel very blessed. Um, I'm able to continue working and I'm realizing more and more each day how much of an introvert I am and how much this is working for me, working from home. And I'm really lucky to have a, a, a partner that I really love and love spending time with and great roommates. So that part hasn't been a hardship, obviously. Um, there's a lot going on though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I want to ask about how, how, what, how things feel in San Francisco in general, but I also want to say congratulations on your election win. Thank you. I'm also surprised you're the first black trans person elected to an office in San Francisco, which maybe I shouldn't be surprised, but were you surprised to learn that, that, that you were? Yeah. Surprised to be the first black trans person elected in California and San Francisco. It just goes to show that there are so many doors that have still been left um, unopened, I guess. There was one other trans person that was elected before me in San Francisco. His name was Gabriel Holland, and he also served on the DCCC. But that was quite a long time ago. It is really surprising that we haven't had more representation. But then again, I think that 
when we're talking about communities that have traditionally been oppressed or especially when there's multiple levels of oppression that, you know, going into something like politics or making the time to invest in something like serving on a board is second to or sometimes fifth or sixth to the many things that you're doing just to survive, right, in our world. It's just taken this long because we live in a society that is just basically, you know, working against people of color and women and queer people and trans folks for so long. I think we're finally now getting into a place where people like me have the opportunity, not just the opportunity to be in leadership positions, but also have the ability to, right? I mean, like we are, we're working, we have access to education and like we have access to opportunities that generations before us people didn't have. And I think that's why I thought I, I thought of you immediately when I was watching AOC speaking with the Queens and Untucked, someone else who comes from a grassroots background of like community involvement and then decides to take the bull by the horns and jump into an electoral process and campaign and win and start making change. What what would you take on watching AOC and Untucked and talking to the girls? I was so happy to see her on RuPaul's Drag Race. I mean, I think that drag is so political in and of itself, whether or not we want it to be, you know? And it was nice to see, like, it kind of be a little more literal in Drag Race, um, that, you know, we, we're, we're actually bringing politics more into Drag Race by bringing AOC on the show, I think. I think she's absolutely incredible. She's absolutely an inspiration to many people all over the country and the world. I had the opportunity to meet her at a Democratic Party event last year, and she's just so tiny, kind of amazing. Um, but of course, as a drag queen, when you meet, you know, really tiny, gorgeous women like her. It's very, <laughs> nothing to make you feel um, more like a bulky, tall, huge drag queen. She's so sweet and so humble. And I think really not someone who takes up a lot of unnecessary space. Like I think she's a fierce fighter and advocate and does that all really, really well. But she's also really good at, I think, listening to people. And I think that's what's really important in politics is not, it's not just about being a leader, but it's also about being able to listen. And she, you know, said that really well and that it, a lot of it is not just doing what you want to do or, 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 or um, being there in opposition to the Trump administration, but really to listen to her constituents and to the people that she represents and making sure that their needs are represented. I think also just seeing her on the show and seeing her like sitting on a sofa with, with the queens from different backgrounds, different races, that also sends a message of inclusion and that there are people working on our behalf for the better. Absolutely. And I think it also makes it more personal. Like, you know, politics should not be out of touch for people. You know, we live in a country that was founded on these democratic principles that rely on the public participating in the democratic process. We should feel like we have access to our elected officials and representatives. And, you know, having her sit with the queens and having a regular conversation is how politics should work. Like we should have that, those kinds of relationships with the people that represent us and we should be demanding those types of relationships. So I think that also is a really important part of her appearing on the show is making politics more accessible to people. You've been working in civic involvement. You've been you know, involved in politics in San Francisco and legislation. What appeals to you about it? I, you know, I really hate politics. <laughs> Politics, to me, is a means to an end. There is a lot of games that people play and you have to pick a side. And But I do think that it is an incredibly 
effective way of getting things done. And I have always believed that we need to be the change we want to see in the world. And, you know, that is part of why I started doing drag, making sure that there is representation in politics, that people have a say in the laws that are passed and our voices are being heard and that um, uh, legislation uh, is tailored towards the needs of the communities um, is really, really, really incredibly important. And, and, and yeah, so I, I think that out of necessity and because I wasn't seeing anybody else that looked like me in politics, whether it be local or national, I felt like, why not? Why, if no one else is going to do it, I'm going to get in there and do it. I feel like it's really important to, that we have a diversity of voices at the table. I feel like it's really important that we have people like me who are, you know, um, come from, um, like first generation immigrants or even, you know, people who are naturalized citizens involved in politics, people who are queer, who are trans, who are non-binary, who are femme, who are black specifically, like in positions of leadership and power and able to affect change in policy because policy really rules so much of our everyday lives. It rules where money is going, the types of services that are available to us, what are, what rights we have, like, these are all incredibly important to people's everyday lives. And if we don't have everyday people, a diverse group of everyday people in those rooms, then their needs are, are, not, are not met, are not addressed, are not considered. And I feel like that is a lot of what is wrong with our country is that we have centered corporations and the powerful in a lot of these conversations when we should be centering the people. You were just elected to the San Francisco Democratic Party, but tell me what that means and like, what do you do and what's your role? Did I even say that right? You did. You said it right. The San Francisco Democratic County Central Committee is the San Francisco Democratic Party. Absolutely. It's a board. I, I have basically a vote on the committee. And what that means is I can influence the Democratic Party's platform. We do things like vote on endorsements for upcoming ballot measures, endorsements for elected officials. And we also have, you know, can serve as delegates for Democratic conventions. And we really have a say and a lot of influence, I think, on both local Democratic platforms and what that looks like, but also the national one. I mean, our our, represent, our national representative of San Francisco is Speaker, the House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. I do think that San Francisco has a really important voice um, on the national stage in terms of where the Democratic Party stands and what it believes in. In terms of elected positions, it's like, well, how much power does it actually have? We're not like running the government, but <laughs> we are sort of running the Democratic Party. Uh, one of the things that we, we did this last year was we set up the Red to Blue office with Speaker Pelosi, which was a national call center where we basically called all of those purple districts and all of those red districts that had the possibility to shift to Democrat. And we called relentlessly and helped to flip a lot of those congressional districts. And that's that's the kind of work that like has effect. And we do a lot of the voter registration too and a lot of the advocacy. So it, it's, it's a lot of work. Um, my favorite part is really really the public comment portion and getting to hear from community members about what's important to them. Because, you know, a lot of times it's all of these individual people who come from such a diverse um, set of backgrounds that are bringing things to you and saying like, hey, you need to pay attention to this. And sometimes it's things that I've never considered because I don't 
live their lives. You know, I don't have their experiences. And so it's, I think, you know, it's an incredibly wonderful opportunity and position to be able to be in. And you're also a co-founder of the, of the Transgender Cultural District, which is a historic act in all of itself. Can you explain what that is? So the Transgender Cultural District, it was founded as the Compton's Transgender Cultural District. I think they, they took out Compton's because people were getting confused with Compton's in LA. The name came <laughs> from the Compton's Cafeteria Riot, which happened in 1966, which was, you know, a cool three years before Stonewall. And it's the first officially recognized collective uprising of LGBT people in the U.S. Uh, it yeah. happened in the Tenderloin. It was sort of the same situation in which, you know, it started it was started by a drag queen throwing a, a cup of coffee in a cop's face and ended up being a, a riot that took to the streets for the next three days. In any case, we, we established <laughs> we established the <laughs> district because San Francisco has been changing a lot over the last few decades. And change isn't inherently bad. Cities change all the time and you know should should change and evolve but we what we saw was that there was an incredible amount of gentrification and and uh the resulting displacement of really important communities and vulnerable communities specifically right. poor people trans people black and brown people from the tenderloin which has historically been a vice district a containment zone for the city where a lot of the, those sort of illicit activities have happened over time. I've been. I'm sure. <laughs> That's where people were working, working the streets. It actually was the original LGBT neighborhood. you know, that was the neighborhood of San Francisco before there was a Castro. And even once the Castro was established, that area was much more catering to cis white gay men and people who were Black, who were um, trans or gender nonconforming were sort of regulated to the tenderloin. And with the continuing sort of like influx of, of tech and other businesses to San Francisco with the you know continuing rise of real estate prices and rent and cost of living, the Tenderloin was not immune to those changes and development has been encroaching on the Tenderloin for a long time. And when development started to actually happen within the Tenderloin, that's when we felt the need to establish the district. And cultural districts are interesting. In San Francisco, they're officially recognized by the city where there are historical assets to a specific community, uh, usually a marginal community and they recognize that area and honor that area. The transgender cultural district is very much centered around displacement, advocating for affordable housing, more job opportunities for the trans community and creating opportunities for entrepreneurship. And it's also um, celebrating the, you know, the legacy, the cultural contributions of trans and gender nonconforming people. Oh, that's so good. It is history making. It's the first of its yeah. kind in the world. It's so humbling to know that, you know, my community was able to come together and establish a cultural district and to see the work that the district is doing today. And even more recently to sort of like the small grants program, it's been giving out grants to trans folks who live in the Tenderloin to get them through COVID, basically to pay for things like groceries and a little bit of money for rent. Okay. Well, I also want to ask you about the stud because you're also a bar owner. You're a co-owner or, or a member of a cooperative who took over the legendary bar, The Stud. Yes. The Stud was also established in 1966, same year as the Compton's riots. We are a cooperative of 17 people. Um, we each have an equal stake in the business. It was really a labor of love. I mean, The Stud was threatened with closure because of an increase, a huge, like a tripling of the rent after a new owners took over the building. And we formed this cooperative to basically keep our beloved 
stud from closing. I mean, it is the oldest LGBT bar in San Francisco. I have fond memories of seeing like shows with Hecklina there and going to club nights through the years since like the the nineties. I was you know hearing about its possible closing and then thrilled that you all were able to take over. Yeah, so we were able to establish the first cooperatively operated queer nightlife venue, I think, in the in the world. It was it was cool. All of us were like cleaning the bar and working behind the bar for two years. And so we were able to hire on some really, really cool, amazing queer bartenders and bar staff. I'm really proud of the fact that we've been able to provide so many jobs to queer people and to be able to um, provide a space that is really authentic and, and just sort of, you know, People, people are able to throw weird parties there and 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 keep this the the fame and the leg, legendary the legend of the stud alive. Even now, which is the worst time to be owning a bar or running a business, any kind of business is hospitality based, you know, because everything's closed right now and everything's restricted. But I know you're still doing shows online, as is happening across the drag community and performance community. There's like things happening, live streaming. That has been really cool to see how drag queens, especially, I think, are responding to this crisis, right? And fi- and really taking over sort of the digital performance world. And the set is no exception. Like, we continue to have drag shows and DJ sets and stuff via, like, Twitch. The community has really risen up in support of a lot of the nightlife venues, not just the stud, and also for each other and for nightlife workers. But that's something that drag queens do. I mean, we are, a lot of the times these community organizers in a way we know how to throw a party and raise some funds and you know we're going to continue doing that so where can folks go to find out about the shows the stud shows online stuff happening you know moving forward the next few weeks yeah i mean i think if you want to figure out what the stud is doing you can like us on facebook and you can follow us on instagram you can also go to our website studsf.com and what is your political future do you have aspirations for other public offices or do you know I don't know where where this will lead me. I think I think I've le- my life has sort of naturally and organically evolved and brought me to the place where I am today. I, you know, I think the same was true of Drag Race. It's sort of I just sort of naturally just sort of I, I just got there. Like it's hard for me to um, guess where I'll be in the next four years. I think I would like to run for supervisor here in San Francisco, but you know who knows. This is <laughs> I, I'm I'm working in a supervisor's office right now and. It's so intense. Like there's just, it's definitely not a nine to five job. It's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And so that is a little wearing, but I I, I do feel really committed to doing the the work and I feel really committed to my community. And again, like, I feel like if not me, then who, right? That's my sort of mantra. I I am committed to continuing to be in politics and and continuing to run right now. I don't want to place any limits on my aspirations though. So we'll see. I like it. I like it. Well, thank you so much for chatting. Give my love to San Francisco. I hope to visit again soon whenever I can, whenever I can leave my house. I know. I used to see you occasionally at shows here. Come back. Stay very safe. Keep doing all the amazing good work you're doing to like better our community. I will. I will. All right. Well, thank you for having me today. Thank you, honey. Bye. Bye. And that was San Francisco's own Honey Mahogany, a fabulous queen and a trans pioneer in California politics. Go, honey, go. And thank you for your work for San Francisco and the queer community. You can follow her at Honey Mahogany, and you can also check out what is up at the legendary Stud Bar in San Francisco or online at Stud SF. And big thanks again to Michelle Visage for joining us. 
and to you all for listening this week. I hope you're all staying in, staying safe and sane, and enjoying Season 12 of Drag Race. And please, be sure to keep watching your favorite queens who are doing shows online, tip them, show them love. Now more than ever. And of course, new episodes of Drag Race are airing every Friday night on VH1. Or if you can't get VH1, head to wowpresentsplus.com to see if you can stream it where you live. Thanks again, love yourself, and see you next week. Mwah!